Christmas series called Christmas at the Movies. And in this series, we're using the movie Home Alone, and we're also tracing through the Christmas story and recognizing that they are, there's a lot of issues, right? A lot of things that we're, we tackle with during the, the Christmas holidays and during the Christmas season. And, uh, and so we've been talking about some of those things. Week one, we talked about what happens when things don't go the way that we planned, when our expectations and reality don't quite uh, measure up. Last week, Mike did a fantastic job, and he talked about loneliness. Uh, during the Christmas holidays, right, we can be surrounded by all kinds of people. We can go to all kinds of parties. The malls are packed. Family are going to come over. And yet, for many of us, even though we're surrounded by lots of people, it's very easy for us to feel very isolated and, and feel very alone. And he talked about the fact that, that a relationship with Jesus is really the true solution to that. So he did an incredible job. This week, as you just saw in the clip, we're going to talk about Marv and Harry and how they were not quite satisfied with the things that they had and how jealousy began to creep into their lives. And, and so it led them to try and steal from others. And Christmas is just one of those seasons. Right during Christmas, where that, that ugly headed monster of jealousy can creep into our lives. And if we're not careful, it absolutely has the potential to steal the joy out of Christmas for us. Now, they say confession is good for the soul. And so I, I decided that I, I would be honest with you guys this morning and just wanted to let you know that I have never struggled with jealousy issues in my life. Never. I do have a lot of lying issues, though, that I struggle with, and so I probably should, should work on. So I, I sat down this week, and I thought, okay, well, I'll make a list, because I really didn't think, I don't think there's too many things in my life that I'm jealous about, and I started writing, and, and it went to a couple of lines, and then a paragraph, and a page, and two pages, and a journal, and all of a sudden, I realized, wow, I do have a lot of things in my life that I didn't even really think about or realize, things and in, in, in people that I'm jealous of, and, uh, and so stuff that I had to work out, and so I, I thought I'd share a couple of them with you use some things that came to my mind uh, this week. I'm jealous of Jeep owners. I am. I've wanted a Jeep ever since I was a kid, and so if you own a Jeep, yeah... Yeah, I love you. I, I really do. I'm jealous of you, but I, I did, right? I'm jealous of Jeep owners because everybody knows if you own a Jeep, you're automatically, it like triples your cool points. And when I was in high school, I needed all the help I could get, right? And so I will never forget the day that my parents took me to a dealership. It was, it was for my very first car. And, uh, and they let me take home a Jeep that day. They said, go drive it all day. Keep it overnight. Come back the next day. We'll do the paperwork and take care of it. And so I drove that thing all day. I stared at it all night from my bedroom window. I dreamt of what it was going to be like to roll onto campus that Monday morning in my Jeep and my cool points shooting up. And, and then it happened. My parents realized that the insurance on the Jeep was going to cost more than the Jeep itself. And so it went back and I got my grandparents' brown Buick Century that only had an AM radio in it. It was like my parents were trying to get me beat up in high school. And I was like, seriously, this is what I have to deal with. Um, I'm jealous of people who fly first class. I, I don't fly a lot, and I, but I've never flown in first class. There was one time, right, the very first time I ever flew Southwest, and so I didn't fully understand how Southwest worked, and, and Laura paid an extra, like, 10 bucks to get me uh, bumped up, and I was A2, right, and I was so excited. I was showing everybody my boarding pass. I was judging the people sitting down. I was judging the people from 16 to 30, because they were, like, way back, right, and I, I'm like, I'm in first class, A2. This is incredible, until I got on the plane, and I got bulkhead, but that, that was about it, right? There was no, there's no curtain. There was I'm like, where's the first class? I didn't realize. And so I'm jealous of people in first class, right? You get to get on the plane 
wine first. You get a drink before anyone else does. You get like a footstool and a personal masseuse. And I don't know all the stuff that you get. And I don't know why they don't board from the back of the plane front, but they do the front first. And so we have to walk by you as you righteously look at us with that goblet in your hand. And they herd us to the back and put us in seats that are barely bigger than a child's car seat, right? And I'm back there between two husky men and it's just not fun, right? And to make it even worse is that once the plane like takes off and is in the air, then you see the flight attendant come and grab that little curtain and just slide it closed. You're like, what's happening up there, right? Like what's going on in the front? And, and so I'll, I'll, I've got issues, right? I'm totally gonna, I'm not gonna admit it. I'm jealous. I'm jealous of people with, with cool accents. Of all the accents that God could have given me, he gave me a Canadian accent, right? I, I don't understand that. I mean, you heard Phil Bell earlier this morning. He comes up and he talks. He's so elegant and, and sophisticated. He's like, pip, pip, cheerio. I'm gonna go get a spot of tea. And I'm like... I don't even know what that means, but it just sounds so cool, right? And then a, then a Canadian opens up his mouth. He's like, what's up, eh? You want to go out in a boat and play some hockey, right? I sound like a drunk moose. I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what to, I don't even know what that is. And so, and then I'm throwing the rest of my cards on the table. I might as well throw the last one out there. Sometimes I get jealous of people with hair. It's true, it's true. For a long time, I thought babies loved me because they would look and they smiled. But lately I've discovered, I think they're just judging me because they're looking at me going, I've got more hair than he does. Kind of like this one, right? Maybe. Yeah, that one there, right? They're just, they're just judging me, right? And I would take any hair. I would take like 80s rock band hair. I'm pretty sure I could... Yeah, there it is. I, I could rock that out. I'm pretty sure I, I could handle that. I, I can't think of anyone whose hair that I wouldn't want to have. I, I really can't think of anyone whose hair I wouldn't. Okay, maybe there's one, right? Maybe, maybe it's not so. I don't know what that was right there, but yeah, yeah, I apologize. Your, your nightmares over that. Okay, well, thank you for the free therapy. I appreciate you listening to my issues. If we're honest, right, I think we all struggle with jealousy to various degrees. If you look up the definition of jealousy, there's really all kinds of definitions out there. Here's the one that I love the best. It's this. Jealousy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives while ignoring God's goodness in my own life. Right? It's, it's resenting God's goodness in your life. I, I look at the things that you have and the, the, how pretty you are and the way that you live and your family and, and I look at different things and I, I resent God's goodness in your life the whole time. I'm ignoring all of the incredible things that God has done in my own life. Right? And, and, I, and I think that's a great definition of jealousy. Jealousy results in all kinds of things in our lives that we know we're better off without. Right? It leads to frustrations and anger and bitterness and, and resentment. Right? I think jealousy, is, it's often labeled as, as an emotion. Right? And it feels like just jealousy, which just sometimes it, it just kind of flashes up right? and we get jealous. I'm not sure that it's an emotion. I think jealousy is more maybe an attitude. I, think, I wonder if it's more of a, of a decision, that it's a response that we make, that, that we choose to engage in jealousy. The Bible instructs us frequently that we need to guard against jealousy. Now, don't raise your hand, but have you ever had a, a reaction like this to, to a picture that you've seen on, on Facebook or on Instagram, right? When you, you've looked at someone's post and you're like, oh, she's always posting pictures of herself, right? Like, I just, I, I don't get it. Or, or, yeah, we get it. You're cute, right? I know everything you guys do is a cute little couple that does everything. Another selfie, right? Like, get over yourself. Your, your whole, all pictures on your whole Instagram is all selfies of you. There's nobody else there. Or you've got great abs, quit showing them off. I, I seem to get that one on all of my pics, and I don't know why. I, I never asked for them, but they just show up. 
See, here's, I think this is a, a truth. It's natural for us to compare ourselves to others. It's just a natural thing that we do. I, I love this quote from Perul Segal. She's a, an, an editor for the New York Times Book Review. And in one of her TED Talks, she said this, when we feel jealous, we tell ourselves a story. We tell ourselves a story about other people's lives. Now, these stories make us feel terrible because they're designed to make us feel ter terrible. As the teller of the tale and the audience, we know just what details to include to dig that knife in. Jealousy makes us all amateur novelists. You ever made up a story about somebody else's life? You ever, you ever take something from conversations you've had with them or, or pictures you've seen on Facebook? Comments that they've made on, on Twitter or observations that you've made about how they dress or the way that they look or the car that they drive. And you create this fabulous story of, of what their life must be like, right? Of how perfect they are, which then leads to the next step, which is, which is comparison, right? We begin to compare our lives to, to their lives. And we look at them and we're like, uh, we compare our marriages, we compare our kids, we compare our careers and our houses and our grades and our accomplishments. You see, here's... Here's the other truth. The other truth is this. When you compare, you lose. When you compare, you lose. I love the line Andy Stanley says, and it's this, there's no win in comparison. You see, comparison is, is when we look to the left and we look to the right, and we determine if I'm okay based on how other people are, right? And that's how we do it. And, and, and so Andy goes on and, and he says that there's always gonna be someone in your life that has a bigger-er. There's always someone who's gonna be richer, or, or skinnier, or, or smarter, or taller, or talented-er, or happier, or hipper, right? There, there's always gonna be someone in your life which makes you, feel, it makes you feel like there's something wrong with you. And so now for some of us, right, we use that as, as motivation, right? Some of us, we, we use that and, and it actually causes us to, to become a little bit more depressed. Either way, it's not a healthy response for us. Because there's always gonna be someone ahead of you. See, the opposite is true though too. There's always gonna be someone in your life that has less-er than you do. That's not quite as rich, not quite as smart, not quite as talented. And so then we get this false, we get this, this unhealthy sense of identity and we start feeling superior to others. Then there's some of you out there, you're the, the type A's. You're not satisfied with being a, an er, you want to be an est, right? You want to be the pretty est or the hip est or the happy est. Proverbs 27, 20 says this, just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. So we all do this. And then some of you may be like, Donnie, I, I really don't think I compare myself to others. And I would say that you are an er, you're a liar, right? Because we all, we all do this in our lives. And Christmas is just one of those times that if we're not careful, if we don't do some, some good healthy evaluation, if we don't check ourselves, then we can recognize very quickly that jealousy can move in and it can begin to set up shop. And maybe the Christmas movie that begins to resemble some of our lives is the Grinch, right? And, and, and that's more of what we look like. Well, let me ask you a couple questions. How, how can I remove jealousy from my heart? Right, because even as we're just talking about this, maybe there are some things that have popped into your mind of, yeah, I am kind of jealous of that person or, or that situation or that family or that career or whatever it might be. What do we do? How do we get jealousy out of our heart? Who or what are we going to use as our reference point to determine that, that we're okay? What do we do when, when, when jealousy in our culture is something, that's, it, it's something that we're taught to go after, right? We live in a culture that is incredibly competitive, that tells us that we need to compare ourselves with others. How do we handle that? I think the Christmas story 
is gonna give us uh, some clear insight on how we deal with this in our lives. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter two. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, that's okay. It's uh, not too late to ask for one for Christmas, you bunch of pagans. Um, that's, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we will put it up on the side screen. You can download the app as well and you can follow along. Let me give you a little bit of background if you're turning to uh, Matthew chapter two. Uh, Matthew's gonna give us a little bit of glimpse into the birth and the, the early years of Jesus. Um, Matthew is the only one that writes about this story out of the four gospels, the four books that exclusively uh, focus on the life of Jesus. And this story takes place in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is a little village. It's about five miles south of Jerusalem. Um, but it's a very significant place, especially to the Jewish people, because there's been a few uh, big things that have happened in, in Jerusalem, or in Bethlehem, sorry. One is, is Jacob from the Old Testament. Jacob's wife, Rachel, is buried in, in Bethlehem. And so that, that makes it kind of a big deal. Ruth met Boaz. If you remember the famous love story in, in the book of Ruth, she met Boaz in Bethlehem. And then the most important, is probably when the prophet Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born there. And so this is a, a little city, but it's a, a big deal. And, and it's filled with people who are waiting for that prophecy to come true, waiting for God's Messiah, his chosen one, to be born in Bethlehem. Matthew chapter two, beginning at verse one, it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Now there's a couple characters in here that we just need to understand a little bit about. One is, is Herod, right? Herod is, is a king over four kind of political districts, okay, across Palestine. And, and throughout the Bible, there, there are multiple Herods that are mentioned. This one is Herod the Great. Now, Herod really isn't so great, right? When you really look at the history of Herod and you unpack his family and, and his story, it's a story filled with lies and murder and treachery and adultery. In fact, Herod is, is ruthless and, and evil and he is so jealous, he is so suspicious of anyone that might threaten his power, that might try to take his, his place as king, that he had three of his sons, his wife and several others close to him all murdered, right? Tuck that away for later because that's going to come back. But, but Herod, was not, Herod was not quite so great. Now, there's some other characters in this, and, and it's the Magi, right? The Magi, we really don't know a lot about these guys. Sometimes they're referred to as the wise men, and so it's the same guys, if you've heard that before. They came from the east. We don't know exactly where in the east they come from. Uh, we know that they're not kings. We know that they specialized in, in astronomy, but that's really kind of all we know for sure about these guys. The traditional view is that there were three of them. Now that either came from the song or it came from uh, the three gifts that they brought. Reality, there could have been more wise men. Again, we really just don't know. I know the Bible sometimes can be frustrating, right? Because sometimes it doesn't give us all of the details that we wish it would give us, right? It doesn't fill in all of the gaps and it just gives us a partial picture. But I think it's important for us to understand that we need to trust that God has given us the details that are significant, the details that matter for us to really have a clear understanding of how much he loves us and, and how we're supposed to live our lives in response to that. Verse three says this, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. 
You see, the, the wise men show up and they're expecting to find this king. They're expecting to find this, this young king and, and the current king, he didn't know anything about this, right? And so he gets a little unsettled by this, which makes sense. Now, there's several reasons why it says that Herod was disturbed or, or why he was troubled. One is that he knew that he wasn't the rightful heir to the throne. Now, there's, there's lots of details that we could talk about of, of how to prove that. We don't have time to do that. We just need to know and understand that, that Herod was not the rightful heir to the throne, so you could say that he was sitting on a throne of lies. Maybe he smelled like beef and cheese, right? I don't know, but, but, but you, can, you can get that, right? And so he, he's, he's kind of a little troubled by this. Second reason he was troubled is because he was ruthless, right? And so he had all kinds of enemies. And so he was paranoid and he just lived in that state of, of paranoia. The third reason is because he represented Rome. And the last thing that he wanted to do was to have to explain to Caesar why a Jewish king who was a child, right, overthrew him and his region and took power back. And, and so he's got several reasons why he is unsettled and why he's troubled at this news of a new king in town. But it also says, and I think this is very interesting, that all Jerusalem was troubled too. Why? Why is the rest of Jerusalem troubled by the news of this new king? See, they were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting someone to come and to overthrow Rome, kind of like Alexander the Great, right? They wanted this warrior to come. And so rumors of a king that was a child who obviously wasn't ready to lead yet, that concerned the people in Jerusalem because they knew that Herod wasn't playing with a full deck and they were terrified about what was going to happen to them in this gap before this king grows up, before he is able to take power and to take authority. What is gonna happen to us? What is Herod gonna do? Verse four, when he called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So here we begin to see Herod's jealousy creeping in, right? He, he's so jealous of this potential new king, even though he doesn't know anything about him. So he calls in these experts and he finds out exactly where the child was to be born. And then his, his, his jealousy, right, it begins to, to, to take root and, and he begins to plot and he begins to scheme. And so he calls the wise men back in and he says, guys, here's what I want you to do. I don't know who this child is and I don't know exactly where. So why don't you do a careful search? Why don't you go find him? Come back and let me know because I wanna go and worship him as well. Oliver Stone once said, never underestimate the power of jealousy and the power of envy to destroy See, we had a front row seat because we're watching this happen in Herod's life in front of us. He develops plan A and, and there's also a, a backup plan B. Plan A, send those wise men in, let them find Jesus and then I'll tell them that I want to come and worship him as well. False, right? He has no desire to go and worship Jesus. He wants to know where Jesus is so he can take out the competition. He wants to go and kill Jesus. And so his plan is in place. Plan B, we'll discover in just a minute. Verse nine, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. 
See, as the wise men went on their way, the, the star led them to Jerusalem. And now all of a sudden the star shows back up and it, and, it, and it begins to lead them toward Bethlehem. We don't know many details about the star either. We, we don't know what it looked like. We don't know how it moved. We don't know how they knew exactly which house to go to. Maybe that star just shone right on the home where Mary and, and Joseph and Jesus were. We don't know much about it, but what we do know is that God used it on purpose, right? That God sent this star to guide these men to Jesus, and we see what their response was when they encountered Jesus. It says that they were overjoyed. See, in Herod and the wise men, we see two very different responses to Jesus, one whose heart is filled with jealousy and the others whose hearts are filled with joy. Verse 11 on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You see, scholars believe that at this stage, Jesus is somewhere probably between one and two years old. Mary and Joseph have now stayed in Bethlehem. Remember, Mike talked about this last week. They went there for the census. They have either rented a home or they've bought a home. They are now living in Bethlehem. The wise men show up, right? And when they see Jesus, their immediate response is to bow down and to worship him. This fulfilled another prophecy from, from Psalm 72 that said of a king that all will bow before and that all nations will serve. It says that they also brought expensive gifts, right? And they offer these gifts, they give these gifts to Jesus. And these gifts are very symbolic to the identity of who Jesus is. Gold is a gift for a king. Frankincense is a type of incense. It's this glittering, odorous gum from the bark of a certain tree. And it's a gift for deity. And finally, myrrh is a valuable spice. It's a, it's a perfume. Again, it also comes from a tree and, it, and it's used in the process of embalming. You see, in these three gifts, we get a picture of what Jesus' life is gonna look like. Jesus as king, Jesus as God. And it's a prediction of his death that involved a tree. See, and then God once again shows up. And, and he changes the plan, sending the wise men home a different way so they didn't have to go back to Jerusalem. They didn't have to have another conversation with Herod. But then he also changes the plans for Joseph and Mary as well. Verse 13 when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. You see, Herod was, was so jealous of this child. He was so jealous at the, at the thought that he might lose what he had. He was so jealous of someone or something that may be better than him that he lost his mind. So remember our definition of jealousy. Jealousy is resenting God's goodness in others' lives while ignoring God's goodness in my own life. And that's exactly what happened to Herod. And so as a result 
a plan A failing, he enacts plan B, which is to kill all of the boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas that are two years old and younger. You see, the problem with jealousy is it starts small and, and it's often innocent, right? And, and in some ways you can even justify our jealousy. But if left unchecked, it leads to devastating results, not only in our lives, but in the lives of everyone else around us. You see, when you compare Herod and the wise men, they were polar opposites in their response to Jesus. Herod spent his time trying to control while the wise men spent their time traveling in sacrifice. Herod spent his energy plotting while the wise men spent their energy worshiping. Herod, his focus was all about taking. For the wise men, their focus was all about giving. For Herod, he had a heart filled with jealousy. For the wise men, it resulted in hearts filled with joy. See, jealousy is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Jealousy is a destructive attitude. It's a poisonous view of life. And it is so harmful that God condemned coveting twice in the 10 commandments alone. And so rather than rejoicing, right, what, what God was doing and what God was empowering through, through Jesus, through another, instead Herod allowed his jealousy to rob him of his joy. First Corinthians 3.3 says this, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? See, it's important for us to understand, God made us. God made you and he made you unique. There is no one else like you. No one else that looks exactly like you. No one else that has the same heartbeat that you have. No one else that has the same DNA. No one else that has the same passions, the same personality, the same gifts, the same talents. There's nobody else like you. And none of us deserve that gift that God has given us. And so when we compare ourselves to other people, we will never win. So there's no need, there's no point to comparing our looks to other people's looks, our accomplishments to their accomplishments, our lives to their lives. Because when you do, you will always lose. Richard Blackaby wrote this, jealousy is a self-centeredness at its worst. It robs us of joy and chokes out contentment. It hardens the heart and stifles gratitude. It assumes that God's resources are too limited for him to bless another and still bless us. See, here it's jealousy. It caused him to neglect a couple of very important things in his life. One was to be thankful for who God was and what God had done in his life. He wasn't content with who God was. He wasn't content with what God had done. But also it, he neglected his joy. He neglected joy in what God was doing right in front of him. Because of his jealousy, Herod's life was destroyed and so were the lives of, of countless families around him. Blackaby went on to write this, watch over your heart. If you are unable to rejoice in the success of others, beware. Do not let jealousy taint your heart. Repent before it robs you of any more of the joy and contentment God desires for you. When you're tempted to compare your success in life to that of another, ask God to remind you of all of the ways that he has blessed you undeservedly. So how do I fight jealousy in my heart, right? what, do, what do I do with that? Well, here's the answer, is, is that you replace your jealousy with joy, is that we replace jealousy with joy. You see, when this Christmas, when jealousy tries to set in, when it tries to take root in your heart, 
when you can't afford to travel like, like others can in first class or, or in a Jeep or however else they wanna travel, right? And that jealousy begins to set in. When you don't have that Christmas card kind of family, you know what I mean? Like the Christmas cards that come in the mail and you take them and you put them on your fridge and you walk by them every single day and you see them with their perfect family and their matching sweaters and their perfect hair and perfect smiles. And you look at your family and recognize how, how utterly imperfect it is, right? And you begin to, to, to compare that jealousy begins to creep in. When your family complains all the way through the dinner that you made, when you can't afford the gifts that you want to buy for the people that you care about, when you don't get the gift that you hoped you would get this Christmas, maybe even worse, when your neighbor gets the gift that you hoped you were gonna get this Christmas and you get to enjoy watching them enjoy it for the rest of the year, right? When that, when that jealousy tries to creep in, I want you to remember this verse, Jude 24 says this, now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. You see, God's love for you, God's love for me was on full display 2,000 years ago. And through the birth and life, eventually the, the death and, and resurrection of, of God's son, Jesus, we, through faith in Jesus and through faith in Jesus alone, we can be brought back into God's glorious presence without a single fault, including jealousy. And we can find great joy in our lives. There's two ingredients to, to replace jealousy in your heart with joy. The first one is this, it's, it's thankfulness. It's thankfulness. We be thankful for what God has given us. God has given you so much, right? He's given me so much. When we're jealous, we're basically saying to God, God, you're just not doing a good job, right? I'm just not happy with the life that you have given me. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, it takes maturity to thank God all of the time. It takes even more maturity to be grateful when God does good things in the lives of others. See, it's one thing to thank God for what he's done in my life. It's a, it's a whole other level to thank God for what he's doing in your life. But that's what this verse says. Give thanks in all circumstances. You see, jealousy does the exact opposite of that verse. When I'm jealous, it means that I'm not grateful for what God is doing in my competitor's life, in that person that I'm comparing myself to. So when we do this, when we put this into practice, when we, when we learn to give thanks in all circumstances and recognize it is not gonna be easy the first time you do it, and, and it's probably not something you're going to feel like doing, but when we recognize that it's the right thing to do and we can get to that place where we can be thankful in all circumstances, you can watch God begin to change your heart. You see, thankfulness and, and gratitude is the fastest way for you to uproot jealousy in your heart. Here's the second thing. The second thing is this, is generosity. It's generosity. It's simply giving to others. So this Christmas, don't focus on what you want. Don't compare what you got to what others get. Don't give simply for the sake of outgiving other people. Excuse me. But instead, just give generously. When you look at how the wise men responded to Jesus, we see three different ways in which they gave. The first is that they gave their time. They traveled for thousands of miles. They slept on hard ground. They rode day after day after day on the, the back of a donkey. They sacrificed their most, or a camel, they, they, they sacrificed their most valuable commodity, their time for Jesus. Second thing is they gave was their worship. 
Now, we don't know exactly what that meant to them, and we don't know exactly what it, it looked like style-wise. I envision that it was a lot like our services, but there's no way their music was as good as ours, right? But, but they came, and it says that they, they bowed down and they worshiped Jesus simply for who he was. And the third thing they did is they brought gifts. They gave to him what was valuable to them. And we know, we know that there's nothing that God needs from us, but what God wants from us is our best. What God wants from us is our willingness to give him everything in our lives. See, generosity towards God and generosity towards others is, is it's what brings joy in our lives. And it brings joy because it's just the way God wired us because we're made in his image and he is an incredibly generous God. See, as we roll around into Christmas in in a couple of weeks, we need to always remember what it is that God gave us. And John 3.16 tells us exactly what that was. That for God so loved the world, and Mike's talked about this before, not the the planet, the world, it's the, the people on the planet, right? Because God so loved you and he so loved me that he gave, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Which leads to a question, how can I give to others in these next couple of weeks? What does that look like in your life? What does that look like in my life? And, and for many of us, it's gonna come in the, in the shape of, of gifts, right? We're gonna go buy and we're gonna wrap and we're gonna give gifts and we're gonna enjoy giving that away. And that's fantastic. That's a great way to do it. But there's other ways in which we can give this Christmas as well. One is that I love to see what God has already been doing and how he's already been, been developing this joy in our church through the Christmas store initiative. I love, as I've been standing out in the, in the hallways week after week, watching so many of you bring in gifts that you are giving away. I love watching your children bring in those gifts, gifts that, that you know are significant to them, gifts that you know they would love to have under the tree for themselves, and yet they come and they're putting them in those big bins out there to give away to someone else with a huge smile on their face. See, there's just something about that. I love that at all of our campuses, we're we're giving and meeting the needs of people in those communities. See, countless lives are going to be impacted this Christmas because of your generosity. That's a way to give. Hometown Christmas is another way that you can give. There's an opportunity for you to invite someone to one of our 12 Christmas Eve services at Morrisville and at Apex and, and here at the Raleigh campus. In fact, um, I, I was talking to, to Joe right before service. We've 11,000 tickets have already gone out, right? We are it's selling out very, very quickly. We've got several services now that are, that are sold out and have very few seats left. And so if you haven't taken advantage of that, if you haven't got your tickets yet, you need to do that. But don't just get your tickets. Invite a family member, invite a, a friend, invite a coworker, invite a neighbor, invite someone to come and to hear about the hope that is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ, to hear about a God that loved them so much that he gave everything for them. You see, one of the most generous things you can do this Christmas is just to simply invite someone to our Christmas Eve services. Maybe it's just giving with your time, right? And just meeting the needs of people around you. And you look around in your family, you look around in your small group, you look around in your community, in your neighborhood. What are the needs around you? For some of you, maybe it's, a, it's an opportunity to come in to serve at those Christmas Eve services. And you can go onto our app and click on Christmas at Hope and you can find out all the different ways you can serve in First Impressions or Kids City or our special needs ministry. There are all kinds of ways in which we can come alongside people and we can listen to them and we can simply care for them and offer them our time. For some of us, maybe the most important thing we can do this Christmas is to give our lives to Jesus. He's simply saying, I love you. I've done everything for you. And I'd love to start a relationship with you. 
Imagine what this would look like. And imagine what it would look like in your family. Imagine what it would look like in our neighborhoods, our communities, if we could replace our jealousy with joy. Imagine the impact, the difference people would see in our lives. Imagine what it would be like to go into this Christmas and realize that I don't have to compare myself to others. I don't have to let jealousy, I don't have to let judgment, I don't have to let resentment and and bitterness and, and, and those things set in. Instead, I can look at the lives of others and and I can celebrate what God is doing in your life because I appreciate what he's doing in my life. See, that's what God desires for us this Christmas, to have hearts that are filled with joy and that overflow into the lives of others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for your incredible love for us. God, thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifices that he made to give up his, his place and his rights as God to become human, to become like us. What an incredible thing that is. But even with that, just the, the life that he lived as an example for us and then to sacrifice even more and to, to give up his life. And that through his death and through his resurrection that we can have hope, that we can experience life with you that we can experience the, the greatest life possible here on this broken planet, but knowing, looking forward to the fact that we will spend eternity in a perfect relationship with you. I thank you for that kind of love and for the joy that that should bring in our lives. Father, today we face a choice. Father, we all know that we have jealousy in our heart, jealousy that, that rules in our minds. Father, it makes us insecure. It causes us to compare. We know that we will never win with that. And so God, will you help us? Will you help to forgive us of that? Will you help remove that jealousy? And God, will you fill our hearts with joy this Christmas? Joy at who you are. Joy that is found in what you have done for us through Jesus. And joy in the fact that we can give this joy away into others' lives as well. And so God, we thank you for that. Help us to be individuals. Help us to be a church that lives this way, that loves this way. And so we thank you and we love you and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.